Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Alexander of Macedon and the Sometimes Badness of the Great. Before I get into the podcast, I always like to give a little plug for my website, www.conservativehistorian.com. Please check it out, and also check out our book, Conservative Historian Collected Works, available for sale on Amazon in hardcover and Kindle editions. And now, on to our podcast. In his work entitled Ancient World Commanders, historian Angus Constam notes of Alexander of Macedon, or the Great, that, quote, his achievements were such that today Alexander the Great is regarded as the greatest ancient commander of them all, unquote. Military historians enjoy reading about the battles and wars of all the commanders, ancient, medieval, and modern. But it is also Alexander that stands out. Maybe because he was 20 when he began his career and died young at 33. No old, senile King Lear screaming on a rain-soaked heath, Alexander is preserved in amber. He also never lost a battle, so there is that. Yet, the greatness may have been lost in the actual people on the ground. You know, those on the receiving end of Alexander's endeavors. And what of all those peoples, from Greece to Egypt to Afghanistan all the way to India? To paraphrase Mencken's comment about the common people in America, these peoples got Alexander's greatness good and hard. On the War for History Network, author Mark G. DeSantis writes of the Macedonian sack of the Phoenician city of Tyre, quote, Young girls and boys took shelter in the temples, hoping for pity from the conquerors. But Tyrian men of military age stood firm, fighting to the last in the doorways or on the rooftops of their homes. In the end, some 8,000 Tyrians were slain in the sack of the city. At the end of the sack, with his men exhausted from the killing, Alexander was still filled with rage. He had another 2,000 Tyrians crucified along the beach. Unquote. Before the modern age, ancient and medieval historians loved epithets, an adjective or descriptive phrase expressing a person's quality characteristic or thing mentioned. The list is almost endless. Before William the Conqueror arrived in 1066 along the shores of England, England had Edward the Confessor and even Ethelred the Unready. History provides us with a fair Philip and a good Philip. Though there was a German Henry the Lion, he was not lion-hearted like Richard I of England. There was a fat Charles and a simple Charles, but the great Charles was a warrior king and later the first of the Holy Roman Emperors. In history, to be great is usually indicative of being, well, really good at war. That is, is one of the chief requirements to possess, perhaps arguably, the greatest of epitaphs. Cyrus of Persia was able to conquer the largest Middle Eastern Empire before the Romans. His Achaemenid dynasty was to last for over 200 years. The moniker also applies to Southern and Eastern Asian rulers. Yet, a strange exception is Qin Shi Huangdi, who created the first Chinese empire by conquering six other kingdoms. But we do not think of him as great in that literal sense. And if conquest denotes greatness, why did Temujin Borgijin become ruler of the world, Genghis being the title, but not the great, 
Not so in India. Ashoka the Great and Akbar the Great lived about two millennia and two religions apart. Both, though, were successful emperors and conquerors. Russia boasts not one, but two greats, and one is the rare woman to hold this sobriquet. I was never really on board with these designations, as I am with others, such as Frederick II of Prussia. Peter ended up losing wars with the Ottoman, and the oft-film and TV portrayed Catherine may be famous for Potemkin villages, as for conquests, though there were conquests. And though some of Peter's westernization of Russia was big stuff, his son Alexei might not have seen his dying at the behest of his father as the stuff of greatness. So why this walk through great history? As Americans, we are familiar with much of Shakespeare who wrote, quote, Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them, unquote. Even a depressive cynic such as Mark Twain extolled greatness, quote, keep away from people, try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the great make you feel that you, too, can become great, unquote. Maya Angelou gets in on the act, quote, you can only become great at that thing you're willing to sacrifice for, unquote. Athlete Wilma Rudolph calls to us, quote, Never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us, unquote. And even when the G word is not explicitly used, the notion permeates our ambitions. The University of Texas trademarked the slogan, quote, What starts here changes the world, unquote, in 2005. In a graduation ceremony, Microsoft founder Bill Gates extolled, quote, Don't let complexity stop you. Be activists. Take on the big inequities. It will be one of the great experiences of your lives, unquote. Actor Matt Damon stated, quote, So either way, MIT, you've got to go and do exciting things, important things, inventive things, because this world, real or imagined, this world has some problems you need to drop everything and solve. Go ahead. Take your pick from the world's worst buffet. Economic inequality. There's a problem. Or how about the refugee crisis? Massive global insecurity. Climate change and pandemics. Institutional racism. Unquote. Journalist Tom Brokaw, who wrote a book called The Greatest Generation, said, quote, You are educated. Your certification is in your degree. You may think of it as the ticket to the good life. But let me ask you to think of an alternative. Think of it as your ticket to change the world, unquote. Brokaw's greatest generation were the ones who lived through the Depression, fought and won World War II, and participated, to put it one way, in the creation of the baby boom. Quote, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do, unquote. This quote is from the late Steve Jobs, of whom an argument can be made, and we'll make it in a little bit, that he was the greatest CEO in business history. Now, there are three problems with the call to greatness. The first is that, well, someone is out solving pandemics and others ending institutional racism, someone else needs to be in a support position. Think of in the musical Book of Mormon during the epic song, Mostly Me, 
that Elder Cunningham needs to be a, quote, slightly smaller plate, unquote, in order to support the vaunting ambitions of Elder Price, the me in Mostly Me. Let's take climate change. Assuming that solar panels are part of the answer, perhaps the call to greatness is to design a better one. Fair enough. But where does that person work on the design? They'll need a desk to put their CAD system. Somebody has to actually build the CAD system. And somebody needs to provide a light in the office, which will need periodic bulb changing. They will need to drive to work. So someone, well actually many someones, needs to build that car. Another person needs to be in the gas station or a power charging station so our brilliant designer can fill her tank or recharge her battery. If everyone tries to become a designer, the system will fail for the simple reason that their Prius, climate change folks, will run out of energy. One of the great jokes of Book of Mormon is that the, quote, slightly smaller plate, unquote, is the one who ends up saving the day. The second issue is that not everyone is great in the ways greatness is measured. I know a lot about history, which is useful in really just three ways. First, I could be a high school teacher. Second, I could teach in the academy. And third, I could write a blog, do podcasts, and hope and hope to get sponsors. You guys hear the plea in my voice, don't you? Do any of these feel great in the change the world sense? Warren Buffett, who is arguably the greatest investor of all time, once noted that had he lived in medieval times when physical strength and not the application of capital were the determination of success, he would be dead by 35. Uh, Warren Buffett is now 90. Buffett is great at investing, but not so much in mace-wielding or field-furrowing. And then there are simple numbers. The problem with greatness by definition, quote, of ability, quality, or eminence considerably above the normal or average, unquote. Everyone being great fundamentally means that they're not great. They're average. The left is the national distributor of envy. So it makes sense that some Americans, those who are not great, get upset when others are great at something. The biggest argument against Barack Obama's contention that an entrepreneur did not, quote, build that is Steve Jobs. Jobs is quoted above about being great, but though every company had access to the roads and the bridges and all of the infrastructure that Obama extols, only one of them built the Apple computer, the Macintosh, the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, and only one CEO at the time was actually running the company that disrupted, are you ready for this list, computing, music, books, and telecommunications. Apple, under Steve Jobs, did all that. Additionally, Jobs was ahead of Pixar when that company began its meteoric growth phase. Remember, Jobs wasn't great at just one company, but two at the same time. It is great that Jobs extols greatness. But Apple also employs 138,000 people directly and another million in their ecosystem. I can name about three other Apple employees today. And Jobs has been gone nearly a decade, but he is and ever will be identified as what made Apple great. Not everyone is great like Jobs, but even he could not make all of the computers, drive the trucks to the store, and count the cash hoard his company produced. Jobs was great, but he needed a bunch of really good people to help him. And note that as a business person of a very successful company and a relatively clean one, 
Jobs gets good press. Unlike, let's say, a very great CEO like Charles Koch. And the third issue with greatness is the intersection in achieving that greatness by, quote, changing the world, unquote. Jobs did change the world, but in a relatively positive way. This is not true of everyone. Now, fast forward to 2029. Yes, we're in a uh, time machine. President Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does to our American Senate what Octavian did to the Roman one, neuter its power. Using her Zarina-like authority, she fast-tracks the nation to a greener, better world. She makes us all vegetarians and slaughters all the food animals to save us from their flatulent-induced methane emissions. She takes so much carbon from the atmosphere that the Earth actually starts to cool. Unfortunately, this human-made climate change destroys much of the crops. And with all the animals being dead, a widespread famine hits the land and millions die. But of course she has saved us. So Alexandria the Great leads us all to a better, a greener, an Arby's-less world. Sometimes the great have to break some eggs, right? Before one thinks this is an alcohol-induced dark fantasy, history teaches us otherwise. In a 2016 piece for History Today, historian Frank DeCotter writes of the Chinese communist leader from the 20th century, quote, Mao Zedong thought he could catapult his country past its competitors by herding villagers across the country into giant people's communes. This was in pursuit of a utopian paradise in which everything was collectivized. People had their work, homes, land, belongings, and livelihoods taken from them. In collective canteens, food distributed by the spoonful according to merit became a weapon used to force people to follow the party's every dictate. As incentives to work were removed, coercion and violence were used instead to compel famished farmers to perform labor on poorly planned irrigation projects while fields were neglected. Mao emerges as one of the greatest mass murderers in history, responsible for the deaths of at least 45 million people between 1958 and 1962, This example, the Great Leap Forward, gets little attention outside of China, or Ma would rightly be compared with the likes of Adolf Hitler. There is a Holocaust museum, but there is not a Great Leap Forward museum. When one wishes to disparage their enemies in the United States, Hitler comparisons are common, but not so much with Mao. And because the acts of barbarity were witnessed by those still alive today, no one is advocating that the moniker of great be attached to either of these figures. Thank God. But what is inarguably is that Mao did, quote, change the world, unquote. He certainly changed it for those tens of millions of Chinese peasants. My all-time favorite business book is Good to Great, an insightful look at companies who were good, but rose above their peers to achieve greatness. But the author, Jim Collins, defines business greatness in clear mathematical terms. In other words, long-term and sustained increase in stockholder value being the determinant of greatness. I'd suggest an alternative as we look at good to great. Maybe our impressionable graduates, and really everyone else, should think less about greatness and more about being good. Now, I want to be absolutely clear. 
this podcast is not an admonition against doing big things. This is not a statement that we should settle for mediocrity. Instead, it is a call that when we set out to do big things, that our ambitions should be tempered by some humility and maybe a bit of common sense, a bit of foresight. We should think of these big things in terms of a little chess and not so much checkers. In other words, what is several moves ahead? It also has to do with our role as social creatures. As John Donne said in his devotions, which was written in 1624, quote, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main, unquote. In the Matt Damon series of challenges, nothing has to do with getting a good job. How about being a good son, daughter, father, mother, aunt, or uncle, or keeping one's lawn mowed and maybe fresh filters in the furnace. As I write this, I can almost hear a tone of voice similar to Roald Dahl's Veruca Salt. Quote, But those things are so boring and mundane, Daddy. Unquote. They are not dull, but they can be hard. Which is more difficult? Taping yourself with a message of Black Lives Matter support on TikTok and then posting it to Twitter? Or how about volunteering at a local school? to work the lunch counters so that teachers can go to work on lesson plans. Which is harder, marching in a pro-woman rally or spending th- that time with a sister, a daughter, or a niece, helping them with their homework? The first is fun, exhilarating, and carries the impression of making a difference. The second might be more challenging. Perhaps the family member does not want or think they need your help, but they probably do. In doing such a good act, there is greatness, just not as much fame. No historian writing 500 years from now will call you great, but maybe that is a good thing. Thank you for listening to this conservative historian podcast. I'm Bell Avis.